when you can look at somebody that sits next to you and say, hey, I've got this patient, this is the scenario, then you start talking about the logistics of it, you start talking about the patient condition, you're gonna start making decisions that are better because you can immediately talk to somebody. When you're communicating with someone, there's too many cues that you sort of miss when you're like online here. If we were in a room together, I'd be able to read everyone's facial cues. The ability to create feeling to be part of a team. You need a bit of physical and um, people gathering together. For me, that would be probably the biggest things preventing us to call that a real new normal. Welcome to the CIO Exchange podcast. I'm Edian Porter de Leon. Enabling a global workforce to operate remotely overnight was one thing. Bringing them back into the office safely is something completely different. Basque Iyer, CIO and Chief Digital Transformation Officer of VMware, leads a candid discussion with executives in the US, Kenya, and France who have navigated the hurdles of enabling employees to work remotely, but are now grappling with the complex issues of safely returning those employees to shared office spaces or possibly redefining their workspace altogether. In this episode, Basque moderates a conversation with four other technology leaders from around the world, where they address the variables associated with redefining their workplaces for remote productivity and what needs to happen next to open back up. The panel includes Faris Karyuki, CEO of Node Africa, Jeremiah Chunge, Head of Alternative Channel and Technology at Genghis Capital, Didier Sabadou, Deputy Global Head of Digital Workspace at Society General, and Paul Green, CIO of Angel MedFlight. This is Bas Geyer, CIO for VMware, and I have my friends here, Didier, Jeremiah, Paul Green, Perez, with me to have some interesting conversation about what we're doing during the COVID time, if you will. First, I wish everybody well and hope everybody's safe, but why don't we let our guests make a quick introduction about themselves? So can I start with you, Didier? Yeah, sure, Bas. Good morning. I'm Didier Sabadou. I'm working for Societe Generale, the European bank based in Paris. And I'm the deputy head of Digital Workplace. So I'm in charge of all the laptop, desktop, telephony, messaging, communication, and all the stuff at the group level or across the world. Yeah, greetings everyone. Uh, Jeremiah Chunge from Genghis Capital in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. I'm in charge of uh, ICT and alternative channels, basically looking at the internal infrastructure of technology of the operations of the company, as well as the external interface to the clients using the channels uh, that is technology. I'm Paul Green with Angel MedFlight. I am the Chief Development Officer and CIO, responsible for all of our information technology from a worldwide perspective since we operate all over the world, as well as all of our business development and marketing. And we operate pretty much all over the world. As of right now, we've operated in 52 countries. Kariki Ferres, CEO of Node Africa. We are a managed consulting company. Jeremiah is one of our customers. So we basically help companies figure out their cloud strategy. Nice. So thank you all for joining different times on different locations, but I thought we'll just have a quick friendly discussion. And first is, are you all being safe? How's your companies doing? Are your employees able to be productive? Give me a little bit about what the life is like that in your state, county, city, and your company, if you will. Yeah, I can start if you want. So as we are based in Europe, we have been, uh, I would say, the second wave. So we have been hit quite uh, early, early February and quite uh, severely. So we had to adapt ourselves. The good news, if I may, as we are based in Paris, we have some uh, bad habits as French people and uh, we had some strikes before Christmas. 
and we already had to adapt ourselves to uh, difficulty for people, for staff to commute to the office. So we experimented in November, December with the strikes in the public transport, which was somehow facilitated to adapt to the COVID crisis. And so we were quite fast in enabling a massive homeworking. Yes, I would say somebody, there's, there's a, always a, a silver lining in each cloud, as you said. Ferris, what is going on with you in Munich or the Woods? We are largely operating with a curfew, so movement has been limited. We've been unable to leave the city for the last, I'd say, one and a half months. Movement into and out of the capital city and the second largest city, Mombasa, has been blocked. So it's, it's interesting. The concern is that cases are now really accelerating, regardless of the government's measures, even though they have been quite aggressive in trying to control the spread. So it's just, we suspect that the lockdown and the curfew will keep going for some time. So like right now, I can't leave my house. You can't leave the house between, I think it's 7 p.m. and 5 a.m. Everyone has to be home, actually across the country. But in the capital city, you, you can't even leave the capital city at the moment. So there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment and not too much clarity on when this is going to end because things are beginning to get worse. Earlier, we were having three new cases a day. I think today we reported over 100, so it's quite worrying. Yeah, because we, we thought it was relatively safe. We didn't hear much about that region, right? Most of the time we heard uh, on other regions, but that is pretty sad to hear. Jeremiah, similar, or what is your experience? Yeah, actually, uh, mine is similar since we are both in the same city, Nairobi, Kenya, together with the uh, Faris. And uh, it's pretty much destabilized uh, businesses around and uh, also expectations, you know, plans that uh, different businesses have put uh, in place. Ourselves, we were, we were on the verge of uh, launching a product that we had to do a sit and wait and just see how the wave goes in the, in the, in the last one or two months. Luckily, we had done quite, quite much on uh, digital transformation, which has enabled us to stay afloat and be able to serve our customers. But it's not the case across the industry. I'm sure our peers uh, in the same industry are have suffered quite a bit. So Paul, I mean, you are facing both ways. How are you dealing personally, your company, and then but you're servicing customers, your customers are also going through a lot of pain, not just with COVID, but with other issues, right? So how are you folks doing? How's, how's the situation for you? For us, it was unique. We, we knew once California got put on the stay-at-home order, we knew it was just going to be a matter of weeks for Arizona. So we wanted to take a really proactive approach. We didn't want to be in a situation with our company where Arizona went on lockdown and we had to scramble to get everybody to work from home because what we do requires that we have operations 24-7, 365. So we instituted our business continuity plan about two weeks prior to the official Arizona lockdown. We got everybody working from home in about three days. We were up and running full operations. As that kind of started to progress, we knew lockdown was coming and we wanted to make sure we were fully operational. So once the operations kind of really went on lockdown, we were already operating and it started becoming increasingly harder for a lot of the, the facilities that we work with. We work with hospitals all over. They stopped allowing patients to come from the outside of the country. So now we can't go get patients, which is what we do a lot in like Mexico and the Caribbean and things like that. That started to, you guys can't go. So that's really hard for us because that's what we do. We want to go pick up those patients. Then we had hospitals internally. We had a lot of meetings that are already pre-scheduled for us. We do a lot of work with a lot of facilities to help them out with their patients. Now you guys can't come. What does that look like? And then now some of the people that we work with are being furloughed because the, technically a lot of the stuff that we work with is considered a elective procedure. And so 
things really started to rapidly change. That's lasted pretty much through the last, you know, two months or so. Things have really started to open up over the last few weeks. A lot of the facilities are starting to do electric procedures again. Things are really starting to pick up. We're starting to move patients again. There's a lot of urgency on certain types of patients because they have had to wait so long for their procedures. Things are really starting to change, but there's so much strict policy now that has been put in place before these patients can move. We are doing a couple of things proactively on our side to get some devices so that every patient can be checked a certain way, blood gases can be checked a certain way, temperatures. We have all these internal protocols that we're working on. We have facilities that have their own protocols. We have a facility we're working with where they will only accept patients if they come via an air ambulance because they do not want them to have potentially be at risk by going commercially, all these different things. And so it's really completely changed the landscape of what you thought healthcare was, because now you've got a scenario where it's no longer just healthcare. You can't just show up at a hospital and expect to be taken care of. There's so many precautions being taken care of. You've got people who are staying at home, and I don't know what the exact percentage is, but there's a huge rise in the number of heart attacks in the country because People are having cardiac issues, but they're too afraid to go to the hospital. You can't do that. You have to go because people have this idea that because of COVID, I'm not, I shouldn't go get my health care. But the reality is, is it's better to go because the chances of you actually getting COVID are substantially less than you dying at home of your heart attack. So just go. There's a risk with everything, but I think that there's a much better reward for actually going out and making sure you get that health care that you need. So it's, it's been really, really unique. We are still working from home, even though as of May 15th, Arizona has released their um, stay-at-home order. We are still operating from home. We have no plans to go back to the office. We are working on our re-entry plan. We've got a lot of different things in the works, but we have not set a date for the employees. We do have a lot of things going on with the employees. It's changed the landscape of how you operate. So like a lot of the parents, especially, they got kids at home. They're working from home. They're not used to that. You've got all these outside things, the anxiety of not knowing what's going to happen. It's really puts a lot of pressure, I think, on some of the employees. We are going to announce something for the employees. So we're trying to do some proactive things to keep the employees' spirits high, keep them positive, keep them going forward. And just like everybody else that's on the call today, the only way we're going to get through this is as a team. And every single person is trying to figure out how to do the best thing for their team. So we're putting into place some things just to keep our teams positive, just to keep them moving forward, just to keep their outlook bright, because the only way you get through something like this is as a team. I mean, there's not going to be one person who's going to say something that's going to change the way all of this works. You know, everybody's going to have to work together as a team to get through it. See, that's that's kind of, Paul, that's a good one. That's kind of why we wanted to have this kind of a meeting together is there's so much information, misinformation and things going on. I wanted to talk to real people, real practitioners without an agenda to say, what are you going through? What can we actually do, et cetera? Also, it's good to start with that kind of perspective initially because you know, sometimes I start complaining. I'm taking my son's room. Things are all over the place. It's not a great place to work. Uh, it's not very professional. And, and I can complain about it. And then you look and say, hey, people are frontline people. There are people actually dying and getting really sick. And, and people don't have the internet and, and uh, the facilities to work. So people who are working remotely, like some of us can get away with it, we should feel fortunate, right? I mean, so that's, sometimes we lose the perspective. We go into, well, everybody's working remotely, everybody's productive, everything's great. But uh, there's a lot more to life than just uh, being able to do that. So it's a good start. Talking about remote working, working from home and so on, what are you folks doing specifically? It's just amazing how efficiently 
the companies that can work remotely are working remotely for me. There's a lot of folks who just, so thank God we made the investment in the technologies uh, a few years back and our business folks are now thanking us for saying, do it, thank you for doing the right things and going to the right technology. So first is, are you doing something unique for the people and other than the actual enabling technologies? Are you giving them some tools? Are you giving them a stipend or something to operate? What are you folks doing to make it, make people more flexible and more effective? So what we did is we granted them the means to, to work from home. So through either first, the first things to do they were able to do is to access to their email and to their agenda and, and so to keep a connection with, with their customers and, and with their staff. So it was on the mobile telephone. Nothing new here, but it was uh, just we hand, hand increased the number of people who benefited from this uh, possibility. And then we created, uh, granted them a secured access to VPN and so to give them access to uh, the IS by uh, massively increasing the number of uh, VPN connections. We were before the crisis, uh, something in the range of 5,000 users, and now we are more in the range of uh, 50,000. So in a very few weeks, that's quite, quite, uh, quite impressive, yes. We've done pretty much the same thing as him. Users are at home, VPN access, things like that. One of the unique things for us that we didn't plan for, and I don't want this to sound like a VMware thing, but we were on Workspace ONE. And traditionally before, if I wanted to help somebody out as a user with their computer, you had to use remote desktop and you helped them out with remote desktop or you gave them a WebEx or nowadays people like to use Zoom, whatever it was. But there's actually this item that's built into Workspace ONE, which allows you to support them. And it, it takes over their computer and you can see it from your desktop. It's changed everything. I couldn't believe how easy it was to help manage the users now, which is something we did not expect. So the, the, just the level of service for the individual employee, and like I always say I treat my employees like customers because mm -hmm. if you treat them like a customer and you give them the best customer service, they're in turn gonna do that. It was so much better for them because it was so hard to assist them by using remote desktop because they can't see what you're doing. But when they can see what you're doing and you can help them out, you just simple things like with some of the users, they weren't used to connecting to the VPN. They weren't used to doing different things. And once they got used to it, they're fine. But that was a real big help. I actually blown away by the way it works. And so like, that's been a really big positive thing. Everything else is very standard. I mean, everybody's operating from home. Everybody is on a soft phone. The beauty of it is, is no user at home works any differently than if they were in the office. And it was already pre-designed to work that way. And I know that's not the same for everybody but we built it to work the same regardless of where you're at. And that was just because of our business continuity. Some of the users absolutely love it. And some of the users are like, when can I go back to the office? I think that's normal. I mean, and I know you're like that too, Bass, because like I'm a people person. I want to go into the office and I want to interact with people. And I, I think that for what I do, that's a, a huge positive thing for me. But I know that that's not the same thing for everybody. There's so many companies where working from home can be the new normal. And I think as this progresses, it's going to be interesting to see what some of these companies come up with, because there's no reason for a call center to have to be working in a building anymore. Yeah, just a little twist on it. We'll come back to Jeremy and Ferris as well. Is This trend has gone several times. We never cared much about call centers. That's why we outsourced it. We offshored it. We gave it to the lowest cost person possible in whatever locations. And then the service went so bad that people do judge you by the based on employee experience, right? So you can talk about digital transformation and doing all the stuff, if, but if people can get their email working or they need to be shown how 
VPN works, right? Once or twice. And there's nothing better than showing them, let me show you online. And your volume of calls to help desk comes down, right? People say, oh, that's it. I can do it next time, right? In the YouTube kind of generation, you know, I, I've now learned how to fix my bicycle because I'm so bored sitting at home. I watch every video and I've taken every part of my cycle apart. But all you do is see somebody do it and say, that's not that complicated. I can change the railer. That's no big deal. So similarly, showing people how to do this is very effective. So what has happened for us in Help Desk is we said we first off outsourced offshore, got the cost down and self-service, you know, made it kind of miserable for people <laughs> and then realized that's the wrong way. And then we've come back and said, you know, like genius part, you know, you can come in and ask questions, just talk to us. Don't need even log questions. People love that. Customer service came up. Due to COVID, we're not able to provide this desk site service anymore. But with an attitude of customer service rather than my cost being reduced, my satisfaction level is higher actually right now since I've gone offline again. So we've decided now, why should I bring it back? Why would I bring it back even if you open it? Because people seem to like it better. We do save money, but at the same time, that is not the only objective. The objective is employee experience first. So now we have taken all our colleague experience people, they're all working remotely, but they do the same thing like you do. Somebody calls, they do answer with a smile. You can call them on Zoom, you can chat, you can do on Slack, you can email them, you can go to the help desk and log. We're not gonna yell at you if you don't log your calls and we can either fix it for you or show you how we fix it. So I, I think that's a big change in, in how we support people. So let me pause and say, Fares and Jeremiah, what are you, uh, something you guys doing to make it all work and enable flexibility? Well, in our case, a lot of the work has primarily been for our customers. Internally, we'd already deployed cloud native tools. So we were using Slack. We've got a Dropbox type solution for file sharing. We have soft phones. So literally, it was just employees working from home. The workflow is exactly the same. What we've ended up doing is there's a lot more work we're doing for customers to enable them to have the same sort of experience. But for us internally, the process was quite seamless. I don't think anyone had any form of issue. The only thing is people will maybe miss their desk phones and that's it. But you've got a soft phone client. You've got all the files that you need. Most of our applications are either SaaS apps or we host them and you can connect to them directly. So for us internally, the process was seamless. But we've been doing a lot more work with our customers to sort of help them get to the same level. So we've seen a lot more demand for people finally understanding that, wait a second, collaboration tools are important. Jeremiah, anything yeah. from you? Yes. For our side, actually, we were lucky to have done the digital transformation journey beginning 2017. And uh, in Kenya, that's, that was just about the time uh, we were getting into general elections, uh, which is held every five years. And during that time, usually they rest here and there, and some people can't be able to travel to work or delay, and uh, we still have to serve our clients. So that's about the time we were engaged with the North Africa, starting up our cloud journey. We had a rerun of elections even in the same year in 2017, like two months after we had had the first election. And uh, it helped us prioritize remote working from the, the word go because we, we wanted our clients to be able to be served by our staff from the comfort of their home. And also we wanted the safety of our staff to be upheld. We saw a few learnings from that time. And uh, we saw the need of what we needed to include on our automation journey, things like soft phones, which uh, Fires has talked about, adding it onto the platform, as well as uh, using more secure devices. So we got uh, Chromebook laptops, which we uh, did VDIs, uh, virtual desktop interface, and uh, virtualize uh, the applications that you are using. With that, staff were able to now progressively work 
even outside the office post-election, after, even after the election ended. They're able to work remotely outside the office and also be, were able to go to visit the clients and also demonstrate to them if it's a financial service or if it's an account or trade live from their machines. The deployment was easier. It's easy to manage. It's easy to monitor. It's easy to, to, to configure. Minutes you're up and running for even if it's a new stuff that you're onboarding or if it's a stuff you're offboarding. Those kind of prepared us into what we're having now. Now the goodness of uh, digital transformation, it's, it, it's a journey. It's, it's not a project that ends. So you keep on improving and iterating as you go along. Once we completed that, we realized we have sorted out our staff needs in terms of being able to work internally and being efficient, but what about our clients? Mm-hmm. So we looked into developing a mobile app to be able to give our clients an interface to the business whereby they can be able themselves to, to, to transact to internally inside the app. You can also be able to talk to us. So you don't need to make a call to our office to be assisted. You don't need to write an email to be assisted. You go inside the app, you chat with us, you get feedback, you ask questions, you're answered, view your portfolio on the app, you, you onboard it digitally. You don't need to come to the office physically to bring your forms. So that we did a year just after the, the elections had been concluded. That was 2018. So 2019, started working on another project now. 2020, after the pandemic uh, broke out, we realized the benefits are huge on the investments that we had done coming along the journey up to now because we saw a surge in clients opting in to trying to use our platform using the mobile app. We saw a surge in clients trying to move from our competitors to us because Whenever they were calling our competitors, our competitors were telling them, I'm not in the office, I can't access the systems, so I can't be able to serve you. But they were seeing online, we are talking about us being able to serve clients, and they are now saying, how do I move my portfolio to you guys? How do I work with you guys? How do I open accounts with you guys? And also they were seeing the interaction with the platform between us and the, and the clients is still seamless. So it enabled us to be able to carry our business, and uh, staff had already familiarized, because that's the other problem, you know, when the pandemic happens, Maybe you have it as a BCP plan, but staff have never familiarized with the tools and also been working remotely. But staff on our side are already familiarized with it. So it was an easy transition to just continue doing uh, your work. Of course, we had already set up VPNs. They understood what VPNs are. They understood how to connect. So it was, it was an easier discussion. Along the way, since we did a cloud journey, we also ensured that we did cybersecurity implementation using an outsource partner. And we usually do quarterly trainings for sensitization to the staff because in-house threats can be your most vulnerable point of entry. So they they understood the tricks that sometimes you're seeing now on the media. People are using files that are sending as attachments with attachments telling you fake numbers about an infection somewhere. And it's very enticing to look at that file or click and open, but you don't know the source or the, the email. So... They they were more sensitized about how to even cut off phishing attacks, and uh, we've done simulations, we've done even testing of of our staff without telling them, and then we do another training and say, actually, this was a test, and these are the answers passed, and these are the answers failed, and this is how do you prevent yourself. So the preparation up to the point of COVID enables us to, to just seamlessly continue, and most of the staff were able to just transition and be able to continue working, and clients were able to still continue being served. Daddy, I have a question. I mean, are we going to go back? Why would we go back? And so I agree with Paul saying, I'm dying to go to work. I want to see people. I don't want to be working like this. But putting that aside, why would we want to be in a hurry to bring people back? And we figured out how to work. There's some benefits. There's a lot of benefits in working remotely. 
I feel like I could hire anybody I want right now instead of just waiting for people who move to California. And I can hire a diverse set of folks. So I think it does a lot for inclusion, diversity, obviously pollution. It looks so much cleaner. I've never seen my city this clean ever. And I am incredibly productive. In fact, the reason I'm tired is not because I'm not able to work, but because I'm able to work all the time. So I have to figure out how to take a break. I don't take a coffee break or things that you do at work. So what is the feeling in Europe, though? I mean, sometimes the regulation and so on would get a little tedious in some cities and countries. But are we going back? Are we going to go five days a week to work? I mean, I fully agree with what Jeremiah just uh, shared with us and, and, and to your point. And that's true that when we are well prepared, when we believe companies will uh, engage the digital transformation a long time ago, they are well prepared and they were able to cope with this crisis almost seamlessly. But I would say between managing a crisis mode and the day-to-day, the real life, there might be a, a difference. And what is sustainable for a few weeks or even a few months might not be sustainable in the long run, I'm, I'm afraid, because we are, and maybe we're not ready, so we are learning uh, while walking and we are discovering uh, how to overcome any new hurdles each time we are facing one, that's true. But uh, I'm afraid there are some uh, limitations we are facing at the moment. Take an example. So first, we have some part of the bank. People are actually still in the office. They have no choice because we have some in the branches, in the retail branches. It's not the same story. And our colleagues, they have to go there every day. So we have to equip them with a mask, gloves, alcoholic gel and stuff to, to make sure they have safe conditions. So I'm talking about the other part of the bank, which is more the investment bank or the support functions well, are not directly client facing. So that's true for those one. We have been able to deliver all the services, uh, all client, uh, all activities. We have been able to, to deliver them uh, without any significant impact which is again, quite um, uh, unbelievable when you think about it. We have some uh, of our staff, they are at home, they don't have fiber, they don't have broadband, and they have kids, uh, they won't be able, or the kids were not uh, allowed to go to school as well. Their wives or the family member were uh, working from home, so they had to share infrastructure, and we noticed a bandwidth issue, which was Okay, we managed to adapt, but when we had to patch, because we have some security patch, for instance, we have to download an inch PC and make sure why well, it was quite an issue for some of them to patch every month, I don't know, 50,000 PC every month to distribute some the bandwidth and make sure people are still able to have a video call and everything. It, it was an issue. So it was okay for a few days, few weeks, maybe a few months, but maybe not. we are not ready yet for the full to consider it as a new normal. That's the first uh, topic. And the second one, you said you are totally able to onboard new resources and stuff like that. For us, it's not yet the case. We have some because we still have two factors of authentication. We have some stuff like that. We have to access to our information systems. Uh, we have to give somebody access card to give them a new uh, corporate laptop or corporate phone. And uh, so far, there are still some physical contact. Uh, so we try to limit them as much as possible, but we are not yet totally ready for zero contact. Yeah, I mean, again, we're more than happy to share. We're doing onboarding, everything, two-factor authentication, issuing laptops, everything. I'm sure Paul is doing it all remotely now. And there are two or three ways, solutions to make it happen, including one BMI mix, but there are plenty of solutions. So we're more than happy to share that with you, right? That has actually been brilliant (laughs) because I expected, I get tweets from employees who saying, I joined this company and the laptop magically arrived at home and I clicked a few keys and was just like setting up a mobile phone. I was ready to go two-factor email. And people don't expect that, right? They don't expect, they expect the first week to be miserable. (laughs) Back the old fashioned way, it's a new world it's almost like a 180 degree shift from what you're used to. And that's, that's hard because especially if you've been like me, I've been in the industry now, this is going on my 22nd year. 
if you had told me when I started that that was going to happen, I'd be like, you're crazy because it's so hard. I was like, do you know how long it takes me to set up a laptop? And when I first started, you'd spend like 12 hours setting up a laptop. Now it's like 15 minutes so and it's done by yourself. Those are some of the good ones that are happening. And I think this has definitely changed. I don't know if I'm going to go to work five days a week. I may go to work several times, but I'm just thinking through is why would I, I may work six days a week because there's so much you can do from home, but would I go five days a week to work? I think I will go to work more or less to just show people I'm working. So what I can get done in five days, I can get done in four days easily by going to work, I think. So, and things like that. Some people can do it one day a week. What we go to work for now, I'm realizing is to build a social group. So it's a lot easier to work if you've met with people face to face. And that's what I miss with the colleagues is I want to reconnect not every hour on the hour, but I want to reconnect with them frequently. And for me, that's exactly the point is what we are missing when you are onboarded. I can imagine the technology and probably the one provided by VMware could allow us to remove all those need for physical contacts when we onboard new joiners. But then to give this feeling to be part of the team, to create this team spirit, uh, of course, we have Zoom, we have many new tools. I, mean, I don't know how many of them are uh, on the market, but there are plenty of them, very efficient. But still, when you know someone, you can talk to them, you can see them, you can have the ability to, to create feeling to be part of a team. You need a bit of, of physical and um, people gathering to, together. For me, that would be the, the, probably the biggest things preventing us to, to call that a real new normal. Yeah, I agree. And I used to, at work, I used to get Nairobi coffee. Now I get some stupid coffee at home and I have to make it myself. So it doesn't taste the same. So that's yeah, probably. And I can't complain about any of this because either I make it or if I complain to my boss here, I would get nothing. So, <laughs> so I'm, I have to be happy with what I get, right? This looks like a long haul for us. Paul, maybe you would have it since you spend more time with the medical folks is Initially, I said, hey, another two weeks, we're going to open. Another month, we're going to open. We're going to be fine. We're going to get herd immunity, or we're going to have great medicines that's coming up. And while the medical community is going as fast as they can, it still looks like it could take a year to get a proper vaccination. It could take us 18 months after that for all of us to get vaccinated. So you're talking either a year and a half to two years before we can all start hugging each other and celebrating. So clearly, we have to work on a work 2.0 kind of thing. To me, it seems like for a, for a longer time than before. Would you agree? Is that how you see it? Oh, absolutely. Last estimate I saw was two years before they can either have a vaccination and or get everybody vaccinated. So two years is a long time. I think that as we learn and as we're moving forward, every single one of the individual type employee groups. So, you know, like, for instance, you take my company. I would be very okay with, say, my revenue cycle team working from home because they don't need a lot of collaboration. They don't need a lot of human interaction to be really good at their jobs. And so I think that that work 2.0 for them, that's not that far of a stretch. But then you look at like my flight coordination team who they intake the calls, they're doing okay. But when you can look at somebody that sits next to you and say, hey, I've got this patient, this is the scenario, then you start talking about the logistics of it, you start talking about the patient condition, you're going to start making decisions that are better because you can immediately talk to somebody. Those decisions are going to be better for both the patient's outcome and their safety, as well as like insurance and cost. And, you know, there's all these things that you roll up into it that a lot of people don't really realize what has to happen. So that, that's going to be unique. But then you have a marketing team. 
I guarantee you a marketing team does better when they're in a group and they can work together and they can collaborate. It's just like if any of us on the phone got together and we had this really, really big project, I guarantee you that we would all work together and we would have a much better outcome of that particular project. Like when we designed Medlog at my company, we couldn't have done it from home. There was so much collaboration. We had whiteboards all over the place. We're writing notes. We're doing all this crazy stuff. It would have never ever been the outcome that we would have expected or we would have like we didn't even expect the outcome necessarily what we thought we were going to get and what we got are two different things but it was so much better and that's all because of collaboration it's all because of the human interaction and just like you do said when you want to onboard that person i mean that's a personal experience there's so much to be said about getting your employee amped up to work for your company and realizing how nice all of the people are they're going to go out and they're going to do so much better I'd hate to have to say, hey, you have to work from home over the next 18 months or you have to work at home for the next 24 months because human interaction is really, really a big positive thing on people's outlook on life. People get depressed when they're at home all day by themselves and things like that. And so, Since there's so many different personal dynamics for each employee, how do you change what that looks like so that now they can come into the office and I don't know what that looks like. And I know we were going back and forth online over the last couple of days or so about the work experience. And it's like, I can imagine the coolest office spaces now. I've been thinking about this now for weeks because just the, all these things that have happened and I've been talking to my CEO about it and that's like, what would you do? And it's like, I would totally do things differently. But I think that's to be determined as well. So like, I like all these ideas and I, well, I, I love talking about the ideas and I want to actually do some of this stuff, but what actually happens? And I think, what are we going to learn over the next 12 to 18 months that really determines who can work from home, how they can work from home and how you can be most effective. I really love the idea of call centers working from home because a building is so expensive. I would rather pay the employee more. I would rather give them better technology. I would rather give them a better work experience and I'd rather give them better benefits than having to pay a million dollars a year for some fancy building that is just there. I mean, you don't need that. What you need is a really good employee that's really going to push your company forward and really give your customer the best customer service. And I don't think that you need a building to do that. I think that there's other ways to actually accomplish Imagine that. Imagine now you can hire mothers who want to come back to work but want the flexibility to work from home and so on. The diverse amount of talent you're going to be able to hire. So you're right. I mean, you, you want to hire the best person with the best attitude and give them the best tools. And then it doesn't matter where they are. I'm thinking about this to future of work. I'm thinking you almost want to make work like a clubhouse, right? You, you come here, you want to celebrate people. That's where you want to come to work, not necessarily to work in some areas. Just come back and have breakfast together, have coffee together. I would, I would have drinks together with people. So you, you kind of celebrate your colleagues and establish that uh, when you come into work. And then more collaboration, where you need to do this, do this collaboration, rather than wearing a mask, going and sitting in my office, and then being very careful about going into conference rooms and so on. That doesn't seem like a, I would rather work here, like the way we are working right now. So Faraz and Jeremiah, I mean, wh what are you guys uh, thinking about? What is the, this is here more or less to stay for you folks, this, this way of working or some combination of this? Like you said, Bask, they're, they're actually doing much more than they would have otherwise done working in the office. Sometimes they have to remind themselves that they may stop working now because I have to either eat or I have to either take care of the babies or you can take a bath because every time you're waking up, you want to work and do as much as you can. And you don't even realize it's lunchtime. You don't even realize it's 10 o'clock. You don't realize it's 5 o'clock because you're not, even in your mind, you're not worried about, I want to beat the traffic, I want to leave early. And uh, if you've been to Nairobi, of course, you know, in the morning traffic is a nightmare. I mean, a distance of maybe 20 kilometers, you can even spend three hours on the road. 
that's three hours in the morning and maybe another two, three hours in the evening, that's six hours wasted on the road. You know, staff are, are saying, oh, I, I really don't have to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning to prepare to leave at 5 a.m. but to reach the office at 8 a.m. So you're saving those four hours that you're wasting just in the morning. So you're getting good quality sleep by the time you're waking up at 7, 7.30, you're fresh by 8, you're on you know, laptop or on your work tool, you're working up to 1, have your lunch break. You, of course, there's not much time to waste by walking down to a restaurant or to look for lunch. So in your house, you warm whatever food you have. If you're free, you want to get your work done by 1.30 or 1.45, you're already back to your laptop. You work, by the time you realize it's when the sun is going down, that's when you realize, oh, I think 5 p.m. passed quite a while ago. It's now maybe 6, 6.30 in the evening, so I need to stop working, plan for tomorrow, look, look over what I've not done. So, so there's more input in terms of hours that they, they are putting into the business. And then there's no more quality time that they're having for themselves in terms of just having a good sleep. There's savings that they're having in terms of fuel. You spend more fuel in traffic just going to the uh, office if you're driving and the inconvenience if you're using public means. Also, the spend, the spend that you would have otherwise used to buy your lunch. You know, sometimes you rush to the office very early, you didn't have your breakfast, you're buying something for breakfast, you're saving that money now. It's also making them have some thinking time because sometimes you're so engrossed in this Monday to Friday, 8 to 5 p.m. work culture that you don't have time even to think. So this one, you, you sleep early, you wake up early, you can think for an hour or two, you plan yourself, come up with new ideas. We've gotten some very interesting new ideas <laughs> during this two months period. So, Jeremiah, clearly, I can see your points. I think you're clearly on this side. So I'm going to ask Faris a slightly different question. You do have to bring some people to work, right? I mean, it's like some people actually do want to work as well. And also you're required, like uh, Didier and Paula said, some, some people need to come to work. How do you actually thinking about bringing people to work? You cannot overcrowd them. You cannot have all of them come at the same time. How do you ensure that people are not coming close to each other? Are you guys using any tools or how are you thinking about bringing people back to work? At the moment, we have no plans of bringing people back to work. But should we do that? We were lucky enough that our office has quite an amount of space. And so that was not quite a problem initially. There are just a few things. I'll just go on a very slight tangent. If you look at the technology that's had the biggest impact with humanity, it's always been collaboration, whether it's the printing press or even the internet. We are naturally cooperative beings. But the thing is, when you're communicating with someone, there's so many cues that you sort of miss when you're like online here. If we were in a room together, I'd be able to read everyone's facial cues properly. But no, there's just a tiny screen and there's a lot of communication that we really just can't. There's a lot that's unsaid that we can't communicate or cringe when somebody says something you disagree with. To answer your question in a roundabout sort of way, the need for an office has always been there. If you look, I'll use VMware as an example. You've got over 20,000 employees scattered across the world. It's not like all of you had to show up at Palo Alto. You already had the tools to collaborate and like the teams working in Africa and the teams working in Asia in different time zones and all of them could collaborate to build one company. So that was already the case. But the reason why people had an office is because there's more to it than just sort of exchanging emails and all of that. So the first priority is keeping people safe. We look at it as we're in an uncertain period. We don't know when this ends. Like, like you said, there's a Warren Buffett quote that the forecast usually tells more about the forecaster than the forecast. Because we really don't know what the future holds. If at the beginning of 2020, all of us had grand plans, yet here we are. And so our take is that we'll just respond to the needs as they are. So for certain things like 
there are certain documents people have to ship around physically. Those people have to come to work. You can schedule it. You can see if a document has to be signed, but the first person can come and sign it and the second person can go. You can create more space in the office by having some people work from home and you just schedule it so that everyone is safe. But the way, the, the approach we're taking, it's better to be safe than sorry. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to have somebody's death of mine. There are other considerations as well for us because not everyone drives. So if you ask people to come back to work, they're going to be using public transport. Like globally, public transport has been one of the primary ways people get the sickness. And so all these considerations mean that we are on the side of safety because the reality of the matter is we just don't have enough information. You have some data. You know, it's relatively safe to work if you're two of you in an office, but we're taking a very cautious approach. Paul, you may appreciate this. So one of the things we have done is we've seen in certain places where collaboration has gone even higher. So we are releasing that. I asked for, for my Workspace One team, since you're a Workspace One team, I told them, I don't know how to bring back people to work because I have to make sure that the building is only 50% occupied or or 40% occupied. And I can't be standing guards counting how many people come in and how many people go in, read a badge, whatever. And, And then secondly, I want to tell people you're coming close to each other, close to six feet. 10 times yesterday, right? Just to give a warning. And then you should do that without violating privacy and other kind of things, right? So one of the things we've asked, we spitball with a bunch of engineers and they've done it in a relatively short time is with Workspace One, they're, they're releasing a product. I think we're going to call it Campus. It's so new that I'm the customer number one. So you folks can be customer number two, three if you want. It is like you can use that phone to enter the building if you want. So you, you don't have to put your badge and touch any of those readers. It'll open like Star Trek doors. The doors will open. That's one idea. Then you come inside and then we know how many people are there and we have beacons that we have put on the campus in several places. So we can tell you that you came close to somebody else eight times. It doesn't mean you're infected. We're just saying you're not really following protocol and eight or nine times yesterday. And it's, it's anonymous. It's just the system telling you that, Paul, you came within, uh, within people 10 times yesterday. Just watch it. And if you say, where did I do this? It'll say restroom, break area, places you would not think. So that's one. The second is if you're at home and you have to drive three hours and then you find out the building is already 50% occupied, that's really frustrating. A, you didn't want to come to work. And then when you come to work, you're not allowed to get in because it's occupied. So you can check all that and say it's 30% occupied, 20% occupied. When you get to 40%, we can just tell you don't even bother driving. And then you can book offices like you would do perhaps for like an airline, you know, give me an IC, give me a place in this place and you can book those rooms, et cetera. And then in cases where you know, somebody actually declares, self-declares and says, I have been infected with anything, not just COVID, we don't need to know the names of the people. In fact, if I come back and say I'm infected, we're thinking, well, we can say all the beacons I walk to, all the places I walk to, now those becomes infected. Now, if you, if you walk, Jeremiah, close to a beacon that I have been infected, It'll just tell you, you came to an infected beacon. It's not going to tell you Baskire is infected. There's no privacy. It's just going to say you came near near an infected beacon. The beacon is infected. So you may want to get yourself checked. I'm not tracking it. So we're looking at all that. Two two reasons I mentioned that is there are some things where you can push collaboration very hard online because we did all of this online. But the reason we were able to push that online is I have a good relationship with Shankar, his team, all the guys who do development and so on. So I have enough glue built already with them that I know them. If I didn't know any of them, then it would have been a little bit more difficult to, you said, who the hell are you? Why are you telling me you're not my business unit leader? You know, you know, we don't, that's not a priority. You'll get into all those kind of discussions. So that's one reason is there's ways to build this collaboration. If you constantly work on the relationship, even when you go off this, have some 
celebration with people, then you can continue doing it remotely. And secondly, that's how I was thinking about, can I use technologies to bring people back to work? And so if you guys want to be tried out or contribute to it, you're more than welcome uh, as well, If you're especially if you're a VMware customer. So let me open it. Paul, any, any thoughts on how you're going to bring back folks? We've been thinking about it. We've got a whole letter that we kind of developed. What are our steps to bring them back? What are the phases that we want to bring our employees back? There's a lot of things that happen within the office that, so like right now, every two days, we have three people that actually physically go to the office because we have to do insurance claims. And those insurance claims have to be printed. They have to be binded. They have to be put in an envelope. They have to be mailed out. We then have appeals for insurance claims, again, have to be printed. So there's the interaction that these people are going to be relatively close proximity to each other. And so how do we figure that out? Right now, it's no big deal because it's the same three people. They know exactly what to expect. They each have their own printer because there's three big printers in the office and they're able to each use their own individual printer. Works great. But what happens when you bring everybody else back? So like right now, they're doing the printing for every employee. So each employee within claims, when you assign them a claim, they're responsible for that. Well, they also will have to send out letters of collection. There's all these different things and they do that themselves. So they go to the printers, they do all that stuff. So right now when it's only three people, it's not a big deal. So do we keep it that way? Do we say, hey, these people are always going to be the printers and how do you change that? One of the things that we wanted to do when we allowed everybody to print themselves within the HIPAA constraints that we work under, you take ownership of your own, I don't know how a good way to say, it, but let's say it's your own book of business. You've got, these are your claims and you're owning these claims. You're responsible for mailing it out. You're going to collect on those claims. You as an employee have a really good feeling about yourself when you can say, I accomplished all this stuff. This is what I did. I collected this. I was able to satisfy this claim for this patient. You take ownership of that. You have a really good feeling about yourself when you did everything that was related to that particular project. So if I take part of their job away on a permanent basis, are they going to have the same thought process? Are they going to feel as good about themselves because they know they did that? I think so many little pieces like that that are happening within the office. I go to the office on Mondays. And when I go to the office on Mondays, one other person comes. And although I've never done it before, because it's not my in my scope of work, I go and I send out all of the drugs and all of the medical supplies that they need. I do that with one other person. I sign off on the DEA sheet that says that this is the count of the narcotics. And that's never been my job. I don't want another employee going in the office. So I'm taking that responsibility myself for one day a week and I don't mind. And then what do you do when you bring this back in? And then you have other people. And then just so many little things we're trying to work through and figure out what's that long-term look like and how do we figure out that long-term. And just like you guys are doing something with door readers, we're like, we have everybody touches our door readers. We share our office with another company. I won't name their names, but they're a big company. And their side of the building, they have three quarters of the building belongs to them. And these employees are touching everything, going in and out of the bathrooms or doing all this stuff. So what does that look like from a cleanliness perspective? What does it look like from our door badge readers? What does it look like for the UPS driver, the FedEx driver, all these people that have to come in and interact? Right now, there's nobody there. So there's no interaction. But what happens when that picks up? And you start thinking about all these other things and there's so many variables. And so we're trying to work through that right now. And we're going to do phases regardless because getting everybody to work from home is one thing. 
bringing everybody back, getting their computer set back up in the office and making sure they're comfortable in their workspace, making sure that there's six feet between employees. That's not going to happen instantaneously. So you can't be like, everybody has to be here Monday morning at 8 a.m. and I expect you to be working by 8.15. There's going to be a few hours where everybody has to get comfortable and stuff like that. So that'll have to be phased in. When you phase that in, how do you phase it in? And do you, do you run shifts where half the staff comes in at one time and half the staff comes in at the other? And it's tough because at the same time, we had the whole conversation about, do we bring everybody back? Is it even worth it? Because we have this group of employees that theoretically could work from home. But then when you start looking at that, it's like, I'm still paying for the building for another five years on my lease. And so it's like, am I, do I not want to use it anymore? I mean, there's been so many variables that it's been an interesting challenge. It's fun. I'll tell you that. The pandemic has put people in positions to do things that they've never done, just like what you guys are doing right now with the, the access and the beacons and stuff like that. If you had asked them to do that two years ago, they'd been like, what are you trying to do? Stalk me? Now it's like you have a satisfaction because you know what you're doing is helping out with the safety of your fellow employee. It's making sure that those people are safe. They're much more motivated to work on it because it's actually something that's going to make a difference in every single employee's life and friends that they have that work at the same company. So they're going to be more motivated to work. If you had asked them for something else that wasn't going to help their fellow employee, they're probably going to give you a little bit more pushback. Be like, ah, we'll get to it. Don't worry. It's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. But it's going to this though. It's exciting. They actually get to work on something that means something right now to the people that they work with. And I think that means a lot. Good. So I think we have a couple of minutes or so. So let me first thank all of you for a tremendous kind of discussion. I hope it was useful. And the purpose of this was to make sure practitioners get the value out of it. I think leadership clearly shows all of you, none of you talked about, I mean, very few discussion on IT. It's about how do you bring people back to work? How do you get the company going? It's very, very clear that IT and all of you have stepped up from a leadership standpoint to make it all happen. And I think they say crisis brings the best out of leadership. So that's pretty obvious. My only hidden agenda is IT and the information technology professionals are typically typecast into somebody who are geeky, technical, work the things and so on, right? And I think that the whole world should see this as, as a lot of frontline workers are people such as yourself who are enabling enormous productivity. Otherwise, we will be dead in water in most companies. I want to thank you on behalf of community and we'll do more discussions. Give me feedback. If you like these kind of discussions, uh, I'd like to see you folks again and have another chat. We could have probably talked for hours on this. <laughs> so Didier, uh, Didier, thank you. And Jeremiah, Paul, Bryce, thank you. Thank you very much for meeting. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank, thank, thank you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the CIO exchange podcast for more conversations with technology leaders from around the world. Consider subscribing to this podcast. And to get video perspectives and deep research, visit vmware.com slash CIO.